Grief, Gratitude, and Greatness is a production of Recursive Delete Audiovisual. Even with all I know and have learned deep diving into grief, it can still be hard showing up for loved ones who are grieving. So I'm really excited to have discovered Grief Warrior. Sending a Grief Warrior box is a way that friends and loved ones can say, I'm thinking of you and acknowledging your grief. Each box has thoughtfully chosen items, including a journal, anxiety relief essential oil, and so much more. My favorites are the In Morning Badge, letting others know you're in pain without having to say so, and the Ways to Help Notepad, which simplifies asking for help with tasks like laundry or errands without feeling weird for asking for help. The Grief Warrior Box provides healing and comfort, and most importantly, it's a communication from you. Head over to agriefwarrior.com and enter GGG20 for 20% off your purchase of a Grief Warrior box. Check our show notes for more info on Grief Warrior. Grief, Gratitude, and Greatness explores the different ways we grieve, the gratitude that allows us to persevere, and the greatness we discover along the way, one conversation at a time. I'm your host, Sarah Shaul. In a short period of time in her mid-30s, Chelsea Granger experienced a great amount of loss. Her close friends succumbed to colon cancer at the age of 31, and her father-in-law and mother both died on separate occasions under unexpected and mysterious circumstances. Chelsea found herself overwhelmed by so much death in so short a period of time and fell into a deep suicidal depression, which turned into mania. She had never experienced mania before, and she was diagnosed with bipolar disorder. It was determined to be induced by trauma-related depression. Chelsea's mother had also suffered from bipolar disorder, and her maternal grandfather had died by suicide. Given the mental health and suicide history in her family, she is surprised that this is something that no one ever talked about. She turned to Instagram to share her feelings and experiences about death, grief, and loss. Here she found community with others that were craving connection. Later, she began a monthly newsletter subscription inspired by her love of zines. She uses the newsletter to engage readers in conversation about death, sharing her feelings and resources about grief and mental wellness. When I was growing up, mental health was never discussed in my family. My mother died by suicide. But the general accepted belief at the time was that she died of cancer. Even though I was only 10 years old when she died, this narrative just didn't add up. She had died so suddenly and unexpectedly. A combination of passive sleuthing and epiphany finally delivered the truth. And once I had learned that, I started to put more pieces together, figuring out that there were more mental health issues and more suicides in my family. I spent most of my life not sharing, not talking about my grief, and avoiding conversations around mental health issues. Keeping all this secret gives the negative emotions connected to grief more power. 
It fuels the guilt, judgment, shame, and self-incrimination. It may sound like cliche, but the truth will set you free. It was a few months before my mom died. She, we had taken her to the emergency room. She was having a really intense manic episode, which I had never experienced and didn't know anything about. I just remember sitting, we're in the ER and she was in one of the beds in the hallway. This is a woman I love so much. And I found myself having very little compassion for her, just being so mad. And I felt like it was something that she should be able to control or snap out of, or that Mm. she was doing something wrong. And then I had this moment and I don't know what caused it, but suddenly I just thought about, because my friend Ruth had just died from colon cancer and I'd spent so much time with her, with our community, lovingly sitting by her bedside and taking her to chemo appointments and then being with her through her last days. And I had so much patience and compassion for her. And I just was shocked to see myself have absolutely none of that for my mom. And it just really sort of shook me. And then I was able to come out of it and and be compassionate and loving towards her. And after that, I started doing more research and understanding it. And that was a really, really big moment for me. And I don't know, just have a different respect. Well, it makes me think of how our culture sees physical illness as such a different thing from mental illness. And I think we're conditioned that way from as far back as we can remember, you know, and because we can't see mental health, right? We can't see how it ravages somebody as like we can see how cancer does. Yeah. I listened to this podcast, it's an older woman, and she was talking about depression and talking about mental health and mental illness and saying that she had a thyroid issue and she took thyroid medication every day and she would never think about stopping. Like she would never be like, oh, my thyroid feels okay. I'm going to stop taking my medication or I no longer need this medication. And something about that was really helpful for me to think about. Just there was something about that that was really helpful to my understanding about seeing mental health in the same way or respecting it in the same way that I would respect medication that someone was taking, for example, for their thyroid. They just felt so different at the time. And now I sort of can see them as more connected. And then when we recognize that, like, oh man, how did I not get that right at the time? Yeah. Because we, I mean, we continue to learn, right? That's the beauty in humanity if we keep learning. And then when we learn from our experiences, we can really beat ourselves up when we're like, damn, yeah, how did I get that so wrong? Yeah, that was a really hard one for me. Like all of the lessons and all of the things I've learned since my mom's death, that if I would have known them, then what I know now kind of thing. And the the extreme one for me is that then I ended up experiencing mania and having really intense manic episodes. And suddenly just like the compassion and love I felt towards my mom and understanding how this did feel really out of my control. And it didn't feel like something that I could carry on my own and I needed help. And it wasn't, yeah, I didn't have the ability to stop it. And how much, and, and just thinking of that moment in the hospital and just how much love I have for her and how much I wish that I would have been able to connect to her in that way. Like, I just can't even imagine having a conversation with her now, having now experienced that. It really took you having that manic experience to recognize what your mom was really dealing with? Yeah, absolutely. My experience with mania feels like something is taking me over. And it's me, but it's not me in the way people describe it as these superhuman powers or 
that you can suddenly you're I, I was just able to suddenly experience the world in this whole new way and was behaving in ways that I don't usually behave. And that helped me to just see the things she was doing and understand that they were out of her control. Yeah. <laughs> is there an upside to mania? I mean, for me, there really is. It's something that is, I really miss it. I went through, I think, three manic episodes before I found the medication that's been helping stabilize it. But it was some of the best times of my life for me, not necessarily for my community or for the people closest to me, but I was unbelievably happy and so inspired and had the kind of confidence I've never experienced in my life and haven't again since where I just felt so comfortable in myself. And part of it, I think I've carried some of those lessons into just how I live now, but it's definitely something, it felt like a, a drug, like a drug I found that I really liked. What lessons from that have you carried forward? Being more forward or there was a kind of confidence I found that I had never experienced and trying to find a little bit more of that, just being a little bit more comfortable talking to people or putting my art out there, being more experimental with things. That's been a really big one. And a different kind of lesson is just that I really realize that I can lean on my community. I have a lot of really amazing people in my life and that so I really needed to learn how to like let them help me or hold me during that time. Because you were grieving when yeah. this mania hit you. Yeah, I'm trying to remember how far into how long after my mom's death, but maybe a year. So I think part of what was confusing for me is grief was so intense, especially because my mom's death was sudden. And so much of what I was experiencing felt like how I imagined grief to feel. And then it was after that that it it went really far. That's when it became a suicidal depression where I was you know, I knew it was bad and I knew I needed to find help when I was imagining ways for me to take my own life. And then from that point is when after that, after a long time of that deep, deep depression is when I went through the manic episode, which also next to depression is just unbelievable to go from, yeah, you know, so those are the two, you know, with the, the scale, the two sides. And the extremes are so extreme. I mean, were you isolated at the time or did, or were people around you taking note? Right before my mom's death, I had moved away from my community. I lived near so many good and close friends and my now husband and I had moved down to Connecticut, which is only an hour and a half from that community. Yeah. But so I did feel isolated. We lived in a, in a big house in sort of the suburbs of New Haven and I didn't have all of those friends here, but I did have one really close friend who lived in New Haven. And she was one of my main people who showed up and was able to recognize what was happening. And her and her partner just offered so much support and love. And then my husband also is incredibly supportive and loving. And I did feel, even though I was a bit more isolated, I did feel very held. My friends have always been, we have the closest friend group. We've treated each other very much like family. It very much feels like chosen family. And there was just a a constant love that I felt and an acceptance that people were really with me through everything. And then it didn't just, especially with the grief and all of it, people didn't stop showing up, which meant so much. You know, people would come and visit or people would send packages or just call and be there. And then especially with people that had their own experiences with depression or different things, just their ability to relate and be loving through through everything I was going through. 
Grief can be isolating and community is essential to explore, survive, and heal with grief. I co-facilitate the Pause, Breathe, Restore retreats, where we help people engage and move forward with grief in a safe, supportive, and healing community. Our next grief retreat will be held at the Oregon Post March 5th through 8th. Information about this retreat can be found at pausebreatherestore.com and in our show notes. It's so strange to think about now, but when my mom died and I was home and she had died in our house and my the house that I grew up in and I was staying there in this room that was the room I grew up in and I just had this moment after she died, it was a few days or a week later, where I just knew that I needed to talk really openly about what was happening and that part of the shock for me was that, and I don't know, I'm sh- I know people have been talking about death forever and maybe I just wasn't paying attention because it hadn't impacted my life yet, but I just knew that I needed to talk really openly about what was happening. I had this moment of being like, oh, this is going to be part of my art practice. I need to write about this and I need to draw about this and I need to make work about this and connect with people. And then I wasn't very comfortable writing. I don't feel like I identify as a writer at all. Very much I do as a painter or illustrator. But I was trying to figure out how to write a while after all this had happened and trying to find my voice. And I just remember at one point being like, oh, I'm just going to I'm just going to post something on Instagram. I was using Instagram for my art practice and my illustration practice. And I don't remember what the first post was, but I just started talking about these little things that were connected to what it felt like to lose my mom really suddenly because I had this small following through my art. I think there was a lot of people that could really relate and were just so grateful to hear someone say something that they could connect to. I think so many people are seeking intimacy and connection me, myself, for the longest time, I did not trust social media to be that yeah. venue. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, definitely. It's taken me a long time to come around to the possibility that exists there. Yeah, I think that makes total sense. And I have such a mixed relationship to it, but I think my relationship is maybe a little bit sweeter than some other people's because it's so connected to my art practice and because my art practice is visual and I get to connect with other artists and share my work. There's something about it that just feels really loving. It feels like a community, but then also I see social media as a tool. And I think one of my earliest, because I was sort of very new to social media, especially Instagram, I was very new to Instagram when when my mom had died and hadn't really, I was just starting to use it for my illustration practice. At that point, I had gone and done this residency with this really amazing person, Marley in Michigan. And she was running this residency space, Have Company, out of her, like a storefront. And she's, just an incredible person. And she uses, she very much uses social media as a tool and connects with people through it, especially around being sober. I just saw the way that she carried herself in social media and in her life and how powerful it could be for her to share her voice and for other people that were connecting with her around sobriety. I mean, what was it about how she carried herself? She's just very honest and very loving and very much herself through the way that she is sharing things. And it was the same way that she was creating space. I was seeing her creating the same kind of community online that she was creating in this shop that she had opened in Michigan that was a shop, but also held workshops and held visiting artists. I think that was really something that moved me. And I realized that I just wasn't ready to create a zine. The idea of sharing these little snippets was helping me to figure out how to find words for what I was feeling or wanting to share. Do you feel that there are 
different degrees in which you can open up and be honest with that community? Because, of course, you don't know everyone intimately. Yeah. Were there different levels or did you find yourself becoming like gradually becoming more sharing more and more very personal things? It very much would escalate around when I was manic or going through manic episodes. I was very forward and sharing a lot. And now sometimes I go back and read those posts and feel a little bit embarrassed or I will overthink them. But I also think that they have been really powerful. And, you know, I've received feedback from people that some of the things I was sharing were so helpful. And so I leave them there. But yeah, the the real opening up was happening when I was experiencing mania. So very, mm. when I was living in the depressed part of my life, I don't think I was sharing at all. In the moment, do you know that you're manic? There was a long period of time before I realized what was really happening because it just felt so good. And it was, for me, it was a gradual progression. It was just like a slow build of energy. And slowly I was feeling more excited about life again or more capable of connecting with people, creating art. And then I think once I realized that I wasn't really sleeping and I was losing a lot of weight just because I had so much energy and wasn't slowing down and didn't have much of an appetite. There was ways in which I saw it coming on. And luckily I was working with therapists at the time that I'd found after my mom died. And, and so I think she, she was really able to slowly figure out what was happening. Cause there's also some things that become obvious, like forced speech. I'd never heard of that, but it's when you're talking so fast and it'll be that you almost can't wait to say the next thing or, and I now notice it in my mom too, where you're, you're sort of forcing your words out. It's a very quick way of talking. Interesting. Did you express this or make it clear to online community that, well, this was when I was manic or I was manic when I wrote that post? At some point I did, because I think I started to feel uncomfortable. And then I realized, you know, that I'd been so honest about death and my grief, that this was this whole other thing that could use some light. I think it took a little while for people to notice. And I think the person who first noticed was one of my really close friends and the person who did live in New Haven, which is about 15 minutes from where I live. And she was sort of the first person to really pick up on something and talk to me about observations she was having. And I still just have so much love and appreciation because I think for my husband, Evan, we were living together and spending so much time together that I think it was a little bit harder for him to see. And I think he was doing some work in a different state and wasn't around as much, but I was spending a lot of time with this friend. And she was the one really who suggested that I talk to a professional or do a little bit of research around some of the things I was experiencing. That couldn't have been easy for her. And no, and it's incredible to me that you were so open and not, I guess, defensive about what she had to share with you. Yeah, and I think even... For me, part of mania was I just felt so open to everything. I just felt really open to receiving information and feedback and wanted to be this place that I was in. I just wanted to be this like best version of myself. I just felt very connected to hearing what people had to say. And so I think I was really able to listen and sort of take steps from there. Something we don't always talk about with grief is how financially vulnerable we can be. That's why it's important to have someone on your team that you can trust. My financial planner, Leslie Tyzak at Edward Jones, is that person. She looks at what is important to me when helping with everything from managing budgets, cash flow, and where to invest and save. I got to know her when I was setting up my kids' college savings accounts. 
She is someone I can count on to help me and my kids optimize our resources to make the best choices when it comes to preparing for our futures. Schedule a meeting with Leslie to talk about your goals. Her contact info is in the show notes. A friend of mine turned me on to your art, which is so incredibly beautiful. Some of the things I notice in it is just this warmth, like the the people that you draw, their bodies just convey this warmth and sense of community. And it seems like there's some kind of ritual, this hint of ritual happening in each of the pieces that I've looked at. There's even some ancient things like amphoras in a lot of your work. But one thing I noticed right off the bat is some of your work is really light. Backgrounds are white and the colors are really bright. And some of your work is really dark, like the background being all black. Yeah. Just go back and forth with visually what I'm attracted to and symbolically what I'm attracted to. And I don't know when the black background started, but it was maybe a few years ago because I did always just have these white backgrounds. And in a way, it felt like I was really isolating the things I was painting or drawing so that they almost became more like sculptural elements instead of existing in landscapes. Mm. And then I think I realized that I could do a similar thing with black and it just made different things pop or gave a different feeling to the painting. Sure. Your newsletters are incredible. And I have to note that you've you've done so much research. I mean, they are yeah. jam-packed with so many resources. Yeah. That had to have been a really time-consuming activity. Or, yeah. or did you find that you already had been delving into these resources and so then yeah. you, you already had them at hand to share them? So each month that you were putting out a new newsletter, you're like, okay, I've got to get December's ready. I've got to... Yeah. How did you approach it? Yeah, it felt like both. It felt like part of deciding to do the newsletter was that I had already started working on this zine. Basically, I had a basket that I was just filling with things, books that people had sent me or articles I had found. Or I didn't realize this until a few years into the project that that was actually something I had picked up from my mom is that she was constantly, when something was coming up, you know, it was before the internet really took off and she wasn't really someone that ever used computers there would be something happening and she would just go to the library and take out books on it and I remember a lot of it I think had to do with child development she was a preschool teacher and then started working with the elderly and she was just constantly going to the library and taking out books and I realized that that was something that was a big part of my art practice and just the way that I live and so I think when my friend Ruth died and then my mom died, the library was definitely a place I went which also then ended up inspiring some of these projects because I just felt like I wasn't finding people similar to myself in the books. It was a lot of folks much older than me or not a lot of sudden death being talked about. So I guess I had been doing research in a way since both of those people had died. And then I think once I became someone who was talking really openly about death, people also started sharing things with me, sending a podcast my way or friends sending books that they had heard about. Were those people like your Instagram community? Where did most of that come from? Once in a while, it was through Instagram. I would, you know, I was posting about death and grief. And so people through the direct message part of Instagram would send me links to different podcasts or books they thought I would like, which is incredible. And one of the ways I do see Instagram as a tool. And then with friends, I have just the most incredible friends. And a lot of them are also artists. And you know, the same type of research and openness and curiosity, which keeps them 
reading books and reading poems and listening to podcasts. And I think they would come across things and either email me links or our friend group is very much into actual paper mail. So photocopy a poem and send it my way. Oh, sweet. Yeah. Your commitment for the newsletter was to do one a month for a year. Yes. What happens with it now? Now I'm taking a small pause from the project. I'm going to do a residency in Minneapolis. I'm sort of giving myself a break to collect all of the pieces and maybe make a little bit more art. And then I want to put it together, plus some other things like writing I had done before the newsletter and other paintings and sort of work on it there. Oh, so this residency isn't solely a painting artist residency. Yeah, I signed up with my intention being when I applied, this is what I said I wanted to do. It's I'm very interested in the residencies that are less formal art residencies and a lot of these ones that are a little bit more community based in these stores that are popping up that seem to be centering around art and community, you know, places that sell different books. And I'm trying to think what I would even call them, but this one's called The Future. Uh And I applied with that in mind. And so I don't really plan on doing much drawing or painting there, but mostly working digitally to put everything together and scan things. And a friend is going to help me edit it. So making those changes and figuring out if I can actually include poetry, I'm starting to get permission, the people that are alive and I know can get in touch with through the internet, but figuring out those parts of it. How long is the residency? I can be there up till 10 days, but I don't, I think Mm. I'll maybe be there for five days. So this is something I'm really not familiar with. So you say these stores, like you mean like a retail storefront? Yeah, retail storefront. And a lot of them, like the one I did have company in Michigan, they really are, a lot of folks are creating spaces that they they seem to be wanting to build community through spaces that are selling. I'm trying to think what the main thing, you know, selling books, selling tarot decks, selling art, selling small locally made things to whatever place they're in different artists that they like, sort of these curated spaces. Gotcha. And a lot of these people as just another way to build community and open up the space if they have a spare room. I think there's a few shops that do this, have residencies in their back room. Interesting. Another thing that comes through in your artwork is this idea of ritual. I mean, it's not like it's stated, but you can feel it. I mean, it looks like it. Yeah, ritual has become so important. Since Ruth died and my mom died, just as a way to sort of ground myself. And especially, it's interesting, it also goes back to my relationship now with bipolar. One of the things that I learned was that routine is really important just to find that even ground. And so I created a few sort of like morning rituals that are how I start most days. And they're very simple. Usually, it just has to do with I'll write a little prayer that I say every day that is very short. And I just read it to myself while drinking a coffee. So usually they're, they're connected to coffee since it's a thing that I do (laughs) Uh every day, just sort of gratitude and acknowledging my mom and Ruth. And sometimes they can be a little funny, but usually I read the same one for like a month or two. They just really help me start my day very present and in more of a like loving, grateful space and sort of calling those people in, you know, being able to acknowledge how much I love and miss these people who have died. Oh, that's beautiful. I mean, I started making them up pretty early when I just was lost in grief. So just following things that seemed to come to me, like when we went to spread my mom's ashes up in Maine, a place that was really special to us. And it was, it it was only like six months. I was deep in grief and 
we're walking around on this island that's really beautiful. And I just remember being riddled with regret and sort of the pain of it. And I picked up this rock. There's really beautiful rocks there. And I was like, I'm just going to see if I can feel all of these regretful feelings and be okay and sort of like hold them with this rock. And then I dropped it in the ocean and it just felt like something that was really powerful for me, just making up this little ritual to help release that regret. Oh, yeah. yeah. I actually did a similar ritual with a group of women where we identified these rocks and we associated them with the feeling of our loss and Mm. and then got really intimate with these rocks, like held them for a while. And then we just ran screaming towards the ocean and threw them into the ocean. Oh, yeah. It's so beautiful. It was really powerful. And I was really surprised by how moving it was. Yeah, I think it's really incredible. The other one that I do seems I'm really drawn to doing it on particular occasions is writing letters to my mom or to Ruth. And, you know, one time I buried it in the garden. One time I burned it. Sometimes I just keep them in a drawer. But those feel really powerful. Those are the types of rituals I'm drawn to or just things that I can sort of make up and follow what I'm being led to do. Grief, Gratitude, and Greatness was created by me, Sarah Shaul, and is a production of Recursive Delete Audiovisual in Portland, Oregon. This episode was produced and edited by Jack Saturn with music by Samantha Jensen. Subscribe to our show wherever you listen to podcasts. Word of mouth helps us find new listeners, so please leave us a review and let your friends know about us. More information about this episode and how to contact us can be found in our show notes and at griefgratitudegreatness.com. You'll also find links to follow us on Instagram, Patreon, and Facebook. Join us next time. We look forward to sharing more conversations with you.